0: I'm standing next to a canal lock in Ponder's End, in North London. It's part of the River Lee, one of the longest tributaries of the Thames.
1: The river starts near Luton, giving the place its name, the Tun,
0: or Town on the Lee. It then flows south for 42 miles, through Hertfordshire and into London via Tottenham, Hackney and Stratford. Then into the East End, finishing at the Docklands. My name is Mark Zakian and today we're walking along the London section of the Lee to investigate beer, bombs, bells and boys the nautical type. Joining me is my friend and fellow Blue Badge guide, Anthony Robbins, known as Mr Londoner, which is appropriate as it's very much a London river, isn't it?
1: Yes, the whole country knows about Fleet Street, which takes its name from the river fleet that runs underneath it or London's Westbourne Grove, named for the River Westbourne. But the Lee is the East Enders' River, and River
0: Lee is Cockney rhyming slang for tea. The river divides into many channels and canals, and often disappears up little byways, literally lost up a creek. The Elizabethan poet Edmund Spencer wrote about the wanton Lee that oft doth lose his way. So five centuries ago, the Lee was confusing travellers with its twisting splitting course it's
1: definitely mercurial sometimes bucolic with herons and seals a hungry pike gobbling up an unfortunate duck but it's best known for its industrial history london's overflowing horse manure was brought out of the city here on barges to fertilize the fields there was gunpowder making town gas and sewage runoff making this one of the most polluted rivers in the country
0: it's London's dirty little secret river. <coughs> Stretching away in front of us is a chain of reservoirs filled by the River Lee. The King
1: George Reservoir and its neighbours supply London with drinking water. Together they make up the largest reservoir in London. It's an enormous watery landscape. Of over 420 acres.
0: That's 200 football pitches in our
1: official way of measuring. So if you're boiling a cup of tea this morning in North London, this is probably where the water comes from.
0: And as the smell here testifies, when we recycle the water from our cup of tea, it's sent back here for reprocessing at Deepham's Sewage Treatment Works, which recycles the sewage
1: produced by one million Londoners and sends it back into the system for your next cup
0: of tea. There's an urban legend that every cup of water you consume in the capital has passed through Londoners 20 times. And there's more waste disposal on the other side of the canal here. Yes, we're looking at a metal sheet-clad building with a 100-metre chimney reaching into the north London skies. The
1: revered Pevsner guides to London buildings, much quoted by history nerds, describes it
0: as... On the edge of the marshes, in a setting that enhances its impressive scale... Approached by two big ramps on tapering piers, with a huge cylindrical concrete chimney containing two flues. So, what goes on in this much-praised building? It's Britain's largest unrecycled waste plant, and we can see the rubbish lorries driving up the ramps with trash from seven north London boroughs. The waste is converted into electricity, enough to power 24,000 households. I can see a bin lorry from my manor Hackney going up there now. We've stopped by a rather mundane canal-side industrial estate because Anthony has spotted a sign for Hell's Lager and has got rather excited. Yes, this is the Camden Town Brewery. It
1: was started by an Australian who missed his flight home and ended up collecting glasses in a London pub. He purchased a horseshoe, a dilapidated Hampstead Boozer, and brewed his first batch of beer here in 2007. It was so successful with the pub's customers that he started a full-time business of brewing lager, inspired by the borough in which he lived. So what kind of beer is it? Well, Hell's Lager is a cross between Hellas and Pilsner, brewed with malt and hops from Germany. They were so successful that they built a new brewery here in Enfield, right on the River
0: Lee. That's a long way from Camden Town.
1: Yes, but for a good lager, you'll go to Hells and Back. Beer
0: is no joking matter, Anthony. There's another brewery a few hundred metres down the road that's also migrated here. Beaver Town Brewery Tottenham is just behind some allotments. They produce mostly IPA. That's India Pale Ale, a beer that was created in the
1: early 1800s with a recipe that would survive the six-month ocean journey to India
0: on a ship. India Pale Ale was invented here in the Lee Valley, a few miles downriver at Bow Brewery, close to the old East India docks.
1: And Beavertown was founded in Hackney Wick in 2011 by Logan Plant, the son of Robert Plant, singer with Led Zeppelin. They produced 80 million pints of beer a year. As Led Zeppelin might say, that's a whole lot of beer.
0: We've moved half a mile downriver and a canal side at Tottenham Marshes. How large are
1: these marshes? 50 football pitches. Centuries ago these were Lammas Marshes where hay was grown in spring to be harvested in the summertime.
0: Lammas is an Anglo-Saxon word, literally meaning loaf mass. A holy day
1: at the start of August when the first harvest was celebrated with blessings with a special
0: Lammas bread loaf being brought into the church. It was also an ancient feeding ground for cows and sheep, as well as horses that were grazed here during autumn. Lammas is still grazed nearby at Walthamstone Marshes. And during
1: the First World War, potatoes were grown on Tottenham Marshes to feed wartime Londoners.
0: And this was also the scene of a notorious crime on Chalk Bridge that crosses the river directly in front of us. The Tottenham Outrage.
1: In January 1909. Two brothers robbed a rubber factory in Tottenham. 400 bullets were fired in the dramatic pursuit. The brothers ran across Tottenham marshes and crossed Chalk Bridge, only to come to a bloody
0: end when they were gunned down by the police, hot on their tails. In front of us now is a yellow brick building, and inside I can see a four-metre-high derrick, a giant rocker with a big iron wheel. This is the
1: Markfield Road pumping station. Its beam engine is kept here as part of what's now a museum. Built in 1886, this 100-horsepower engine would pump human waste from Tottenham towards the Beckton sewage plant. We'll hear more sewage stories later.
0: How it really is a very pretty garden And for to the what could be seen with a ladder and some glasses, you could see to Hackney Marshes if it wasn't for the eyes in between. Very Pretty Garden is a Gus Ellen song. Gus was a musical star who performed Cockney songs about the living conditions of ordinary workers and the cramped housing of the poor East Enders. We're at Hackney
1: Marshes, which were formed over a thousand years ago by the River Lee flooding over 300 acres of wetland. How many football pitches? 150, Mark. And there's a story about Roman coins being found here next to a giant causeway. But if we go back 1,200 years, this was a military border. To one side, the Danelaw, territory ruled by warrior-like Scandinavians and their leader, Ivar the Boneless. He never stood for any nonsense. They ruled the east of England with their Viking longboats and their horn helmets. Actually, the horns were a Viking myth
0: invented by the Victorians. To the west of the river were the Saxons, led by King Alfred. Known to us all as King Alfred the Great. Although not so great when it came to making cakes. If we'd have been here in 895 AD, we'd have seen a lot of angry Norsemen because King Alfred had stranded an invading Viking fleet here on the marshes. The marshes were later drained from medieval times, and rubble was spread here from buildings damaged by air raids during World War II. In September 1940, in the early days of the London Blitz, a two-ton bomb landed metres from the front of St Paul's Cathedral. Two bomb disposal experts had the unenviable task of carefully
1: loading the bomb onto a lorry. Streets of London were then cleared, and one of the very brave men drove the lorry here to Hackney Marshes, where the bomb, and the lorry, were detonated in a controlled explosion.
0: Now when I first came to Hackney, some of the older residents remembered the St Paul's bomb. It blew out their windows and Major Villiers, Hackney's Eton godfather, gave them money to replace the broken panes. Villiers was part of a group of ex-public schoolboys who set up the Eton Manor Boys Club here in 1909.
1: Arthur Villiers, was the son of the Earl of Jersey, and Gerald Wellesley, the grandson of the Duke of Wellington, and they would arrive here in Hackney after a day in the city and dine on bacon, marmalade and sardines. A concoction that would have been cooked for them by their fags when they were at Eton School. Local Hackney boys could join at 14 and earn points by attending sports activities, which included rowing and football, with boys going on to play for Arsenal and Spurs.
0: The boys were given a weekly bar of soap by Villiers and would spend the whole evening in the showers, a scarcely believable luxury for working-class kids whose homes had an outside toilet and tin bath. Today,
1: the marshes are the home of Sunday football. Pitches were laid out on top of the rubble from the heavy blitz bombing.
0: So we can literally measure Hackney marshes by football pitches. At its peak, there were 120. At today, there are around 80.
1: This is the largest area of football pitches in Europe and every week there are 100 matches here
0: played by amateur teams in several local leagues. Many famous players started their careers here. World Cup legend Bobby Moore, Man United star David Beckham and Chelsea's John Terry. In 1997, Nike made a series of adverts here including one with the footballer Eric Cantona playing against the pub players to the soundtrack of Blur's Parklife And Barcelona's Lionel Messi was flown in here by helicopter to play homage to the amateur game, but had to pull out when he was mobbed. Oh, it really is a very pretty garden And the soapworks from the ASDOT could be seen If you got a rope and pulley, you'd enjoy the breeze more fully if it was for the eyes is in between. We're at Old Ford Lock, the location of the Pink House, which was once a lockkeeper's cottage. From 1992 to 2002, this is where over 2,000 episodes of The Big Breakfast, Channel 4's morning programme with Paulie Yates and Chris Evans were made.
1: The house was purchased when the area was turned into the park for the 2012 London Olympics.
0: Beneath us is a large black pipe crossing the Lee navigation. This is the northern outfall sewer,
1: built by Victorian engineer Joseph Bazalgette, following a crisis in London.
0: From medieval times, London's sewerage ended up in the streets, rivers and finally the Thames. In 1858, during a very long hot summer, the river was so polluted that it stopped moving, and London was hit by cholera. This was known as the Great Stink.
1: Parliament, which stands next to the River Thames, was forced to spend money on a new sewer system. And the big pipe, large enough for a person to stand upright inside, is the northern outfall sewer.
0: Which takes sewerage from Hammersmith to Hackney. Including the coffee I recycled this morning. And brings it to Beckton, where it's treated. Now this is a gravity sewer, with the effluent moving under its own steam, if you'll pardon the expression. On top of the pipe is the Greenway cycling and walking path. And just here, on the Greenway, is a concrete World War II bunker. In 1940, with the fall of France, London faced a very real threat of being overrun by Nazi tanks. The Lee was part of the London anti-tank barrier, under the direction of the aptly named General Ironside. So those cyclists crossing the Lee
1: on the Greenway by the Olympic Park are pedalling right through Second World War
0: defences. The River Lee runs through the park built for the 2012 Olympic Games. We're standing on the East Cross Bridge over the river in the middle of the 500 acre park. 250 football pitches. Thank you. When I first came here in the early 2000s, it was an industrial wilderness, former railway lands home to Europe's largest fridge mountain, where thousands of broken fridges were dumped in a tower of white goods. There were dozens of dodgy looking buildings guarded by ferocious dogs called Jaws or Arnie. The place was filled with cars that had disappeared from the streets of London and were cut and shunted before being sold to unsuspecting punters. That's all gone now. From the bridge we can see riverbanks
1: with reed beds and coots and swans. Wetland Park with rushes and wildflowers. The largest urban park built in Britain for over a century is right here on the edge of London's East End.
0: You can travel directly by boat, from the Olympic Park in Stratford, East London, to Stratford-upon-Avon, along Britain's canal waterways.
1: At four miles an hour, it would take you 84 hours non-stop to complete the journey.
0: As a Shakespeare enthusiast, there's another connection between the Bard and the River Lee. Next to the 2012 stadium is the Bell. Now this was commissioned and cast for the London Olympics, and it's the largest harmonically tuned bell in the world so the largest fridge mountain
1: in the world was replaced by the largest urban park in britain which is home to the largest
0: tuned bell in the world we love a superlative the bell weighs over 22 tons and it was rung to mark the start of the london games it's inscribed with caliban speech from the tempest be not a the isle is full of noises the river lee
1: runs around the Olympic Stadium on two sides. So we are actually on an island here. But who rings the bell?
0: Well, at the moment, nobody, as there are concerns that doing so would disturb the nearby residents. So it's the largest bell in the world that makes no noise. A bit like the London Stadium when it's full of West Ham fans. We've reached three mills. With the river Lee to one side and the Lee Navigation Canal to the other, this little island is the oldest surviving industrial site in London. The tidal mills
1: here supplied flour for London's bread for over a thousand years. As far back as 1086, the Doomsday Book recorded eight mills on the island. During Tudor times, they ground gunpowder. Today, only two mills remain, the house mill and the clock mill. The house mill proudly displays a stone plaque saying it was built in 1776, the year the
0: United States was born. The clock mill dates from 1815. It has wooden weatherboarding and a three-storey drying kiln that looks reminiscent of the ust houses you see in the Kent countryside. The third mill was a windmill that disappeared in 1840. The mills were still grinding grain here right up until
1: the 1950s. And though it's not working... The house mill remains the largest tidal mill in the world. In the 17th century, the mills were used to grind grain to make gin. London's gin craze became an epidemic, with 7,000 gin shops in the capital, turning Londoners into degenerate alcoholics.
0: Gin was as cheap as beer, creating violence, widespread addiction and social mayhem. It was only controlled when they put a tax on the drink. In 1872... It was purchased by distillers who
1: made lamplighter gin right here.
0: Today the old distillery is home to Three Mill Studios, London's largest film studios. I worked here on a TV series in the late 1990s and at that time they were making movies such as The Fantastic Mr Fox and Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels here. And this was also home to TV's early seasons of Big Brother. Big Brother was produced by Peter Basiljet, the great great grandson of the Victorian sewer engineer Joseph Basiljet, who we mentioned earlier so Joseph Basiljet pumped the crap out of London and with Big Brother Peter Basiljet brought it back in. We've arrived at another anonymous metal box building next to the river. This is Bywaters, which describes itself as the largest covered materials recovery facility in London. It's where, as responsible recyclers, all of our waste paper, cardboard, plastic and metals should end up. Every year they recycle 78 million plastic bottles, 12,000 tonnes of cardboard and 7 million aluminium cans, which take six weeks to recycle. Anthony, how long do you think it would take for an aluminium can to decay naturally? Oh, 25 years? 500 years. An unrecycled baked bean tin will still be hanging around in the year 2500. Opposite the recycling
1: plant is a World War II monument to workers from an industry that's disappeared. The Imperial Gaslight and Coke Company provided gas to
0: 4 million people in London and beyond. Well, how was this gas made? From coal. But there's no coal mines in the south of England. No,
1: but coal was brought here by river and canal, arriving by barge on the Lee. The coal was burned giving off methane gas and that was purified and put into gas holders and then piped into buildings and homes and it also
0: lit up the streets. Coal gas was used to light the London theatres. In 1817 the Lyceum Theatre in the Strand was the first to illuminate the stage with gaslight. The Imperial Gaslight and Coke Company
1: also supplied gas for hot air balloons.
0: North Sea Natural Gas put the coal gas industry out of business, but its legacy are the giant iron storage towers. People call them gasometers, but actually they're gas holders. And next to us is Bromley-by-Bow's fantastic seven cast iron Victorian gas holders. Protected buildings
1: and reminders of our industrial past.
0: Cody Dock was part of the abandoned Bromley Gasworks. Over the past decade, it's been
1: transformed with a canal side, riverside for community activities.
0: There's lots of public artwork here, including a red foam box that's been cut into two sections to make a covered seating area.
1: In the middle of the dock is the gravel garden and this is inspired by the filmmaker Derek Jarman's Desert Garden in Dungeness. And there's Talk To Me, an artwork by Stuart Padwick, a giant 10
0: foot chair. There are works here that are part of the London Line public art exhibition, including an artwork called the Hatchling, which is a large scale replica of a blackbird egg.
1: It's two meters high, a bluish color, hand painted by the artist. And the hollow egg is a speaker that emits the sound of a hatching chick, recording the heartbeat, the chirps, and the pecking of the shell by the little bird inside.
0: Next to the dock, Artist Abigail Fallis has built a DNA double helix from shopping trolleys. The artist's information refers to commercialism finding its way into our genomes. It could also be a reference to shopping trolleys finding their way into the canal. One of Cody Dock's biggest projects is restoring the River Princess. This 35-year-old cruiser was
1: built for the River Thames. And 600 volunteers have spent 18 months restoring the boat here on the Lee and it now offers guided tours of the waterways.
0: And there's a centre for urban beekeeping here, producing honey for the 40,000 bees that live here, as well as a seniors gardening group called Elderflowers. And the volunteers are restoring the dock, built in 1871.
1: It's one of London's only remaining brick-lined docks.
0: We've been forced away from the River Lee by a privately owned lorry depot and the Electra business estate, which are blocking the riverfront public access.
1: There's a petition online to open up this last bit of the River
0: Lee. that's currently not accessible. And our detour has taken us here to Bidder Street, which is lined with scrap metal merchants. And the trucks thundering by
1: are bringing in your dead vehicle batteries, washing machines, ovens, dishwashers, tumble dryers, kettles and toasters they take nearly any type of metal.
0: But no radioactive materials, so no good if you want to get rid of your homemade nuclear bomb.
1: And no supermarket trolleys either, otherwise the local Tesco's would have its trolleys nicked and bought here overnight. The scrap metal is purchased by weight.
0: Yes, I've just spoken to one dealer who'll buy my 16-year-old car with moss growing on the windows for 400 quid.
1: And there's one Victorian pub standing alone, a solitary survivor would have once served a thriving community of two up, two down workers' houses.
0: They're all gone. This area, Canning Town, was heavily bombed during the Blitz. In
1: 1941, in the height of the Blitz, a bomb fell on Bidder Street. It didn't explode, but air-aid wardens ushered people into the South Hallsville school nearby as a shelter. Tragically, a huge bomb made a direct hit on this Canning Town school. The building collapsed crushing those below. The official death toll at the time was 77, but recent research suggests that up to 400 people died in the tragedy.
0: We've crossed the River Lee from Canning Town via a brand new bridge and are standing in a public square on city island. This mini Manhattan of apartments has risen on the East End skyline during the past five years. This 21st century city is on the Lima Peninsula which was once a wharf in the Port of London at Blackwall. Which takes its name from the black poplar trees which grew in the area. But you'd struggle to find a black poplar here now, the last one disappeared in 1986. They used to flourish in the marshy conditions created by river flooding. And this area flooded so much it was nicknamed Bog Island. That stopped with the building of the Thames barrier downriver.
1: But not surprising, they renamed it from Bog Island when they decided to build two bedroom flats here, costing half a million pounds.
0: The brightly colored flats surround a piazza that's home to English National Ballet and the London Film School.
1: And this is the first new community here since the 1930s when local cockneys were moved out during slum clearance. And the peninsula is where the traditional East End ends.
0: The last vestiges of the old industries include a rusty painted sign for the Thames Ironworks shipyards.
1: In the 1850s the company produced ironwork for railway engineer Isambard Kingdom Brunel's Royal Albert Bridge built over the river
0: Tamar in Devon. The company was the largest shipbuilder on the Thames. Its leviathan workshops built the HMS Warrior, the world's first all-iron warship the largest, fastest and most heavily armed warship in the world.
1: Leviathan produced 144 warships
0: but with falling orders was forced to shut in 1912. The ironworks were part of the old East India docks. Those docks have disappeared under roads and houses. The only clue to their existence is a 10 foot tall wall that runs along the middle of a dual carriageway. Local road names reflect the goods that once unloaded at the docks. Clove Crescent, Nutmeg Lane, Coriander Avenue, Oregano Drive, Rosemary Drive and Saffron Avenue. London's docks, which were the
1: largest in the world before World War I, and the largest in Europe at World War II, were all closed by 1986.
0: One of the last traces of the East India Dock is the old Dock Basin, now Bow Creek Ecology Park.
1: A tidal lagoon with a shingle island and mudflats which almost disappear at
0: high tide. The water is home to newts and water scorpions, and London twitchers come here to see kingfishers, common tern, and the occasional black redstart amidst the wildflower meadows and salt marshes. And the basin also holds fish, including eel. Jellied eel was once an East
1: End favourite, and the River Lee would have been full of them.
0: A dockside in the East End is not the most likely location for an American diner. We're admiring a classic 1950s-style chrome and neon diner with counterstools, selling burgers, hot dogs and milkshakes. It's
1: one of a number of unusual structures, including a London taxi mounted on a sea container
0: here at Trinity Boy Wharf. Which takes its name from Trinity House, an association of shipmen and mariners who were given a charter by Henry VIII in 1514, charged with putting beacons on waterways
1: for the better navigation of the coasts of England.
0: Trinity House's current headquarters is a grand building opposite the Tower of London and they're responsible for all of the buoys, lighthouses and lightships around the UK. This wharf was a maintenance depot and storage facility for Thames boys. The wharf is also home to
1: a lighthouse built in 1866, which was used for training lighthouse keepers. The scientist, Michael Faraday, carried out experiments there.
0: 20 years ago, Trinity Boy Wharf changed from being a home for beacons to being a beacon for the community.
1: A trust was set up to make a home for arts and cultural activities on the River Thames.
0: The English National Opera has their prop-making department here, making sets and scenery you see in their productions.
1: The Royal Drawing School, set up by Prince Charles to teach kids and adults to draw, runs courses here.
0: One of the most colourful residents is Lightship 95, a professional recording studio on a 550-ton ship moored on the River Lee here at Trinity Boy Wharf. It was a floating lighthouse used to mark shipwrecks and sandbanks. For many years it stood on Goodwin Sands, one of the most dangerous waterways on the English coast. Decommissioned in 2003, it was gutted and turned into a professional recording studio and given a coat of bright red paint. We're sitting on the dockside at Trinity Boy Wharf, looking over the water to where the River Lee flows into the Thames, then on into the estuary and the North Sea.
1: Across the river is the Millennium Dome, the O2 built on the Meridian Line looking up to Greenwich and the home of time.
0: To the west, the City of London towers reflect the water in their glass. To the east, the Thames estuary flows out to sea. This is where the east end of London meets the seas and oceans. A timeless, watery scene.
1: This Extraordinary Stories of Britain podcast was produced by Mark Zakian and featured Anthony Robbins, also known as Mr. Londoner. The music was by Scott Buckley, scottbuckley.com.au. To hear more of our podcasts, follow us at www.storiesofbritain.com.